ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It's that time of week. We have a guest <laughs> join us. He is the author of this book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. I want you guys to check that one out. I guess you can tell who the guest is by now. Kendrick Perkins, what's going on, man? My money, my brother. How you doing, man? Hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's been it's been too long. Dude, right. I'm glad dude, I'm long. glad to have you on. And it's actually interesting to talk to you about this book about your life because the first time I had heard about you, I want to say it's 2002 cuz people at my old high school told me in the round of 8 that you put them out you put them out. Like yeah. that was it in that year <laughs> that you you had put them out. So, my first question is and I ask people this when they do a book about their lives. When did you realize that your life was something that a book could be written from? You know what? It was it was that that transition period of when I retired from playing the game of basketball, like on the court. And when I was left in that blank space between a year and a half, you know, I was like, you know what? Like, what's next? And then all of a sudden, here comes this opportunity right now for me to come into the media. And I'm like, okay. So now I get into the media and now people are saying, oh, I'm seeing Perk a whole different, like I didn't know he had this personality and he was always mean mugging on the floor and things to that nature. So I'm like, okay, I'm more visible now. Now people recognize me more than when I was actually playing the game of basketball. And people have so many questions of who I am and where I came from. And everybody kept saying, Perk, you need to tell your story. You need to tell your story. So I'm like, you know what? This is the time. Like when I figured when you drop a book, it has to be the right time. And it just felt like it was the moment right now. Well, you just mentioned that kind of blank period, that kind of year and a half or so. So what was that like for you? I was stressed out because I, I, I didn't retire on my terms, right? Like I always said, I'm going to go out on my terms. I went out on their terms, meaning the phone stopped ringing. Like I'm blowing up my agent and, and it's no callbacks. And it's like, hey, you want to go overseas? And I'm like, nah, like I did the G <laughs> League and, you know, I never had the overseas in my mind. So it's like, what's next? Because I never prepared myself for what was next. And I didn't want to be that guy that just retired and all of a sudden, you know, I'm just going to just hang out around the house and just grow old. Like I wanted to stay active and I'm like, okay, so now I'm here. Now what's actually next? And so I was like, you know what, let me get into coaching. And I started wanting, I wanted to be the next head coach that was a big man that played in the league. Cause I feel like, you know, we get overlooked. It's always the shooting guards or the point guards that get the opportunity. And so I just started tweeting, you know, about the game. And all of a sudden I get a, a message from Fox about, hey, you want to come on the show? I'm like, all right, cool. And then it started rolling from there. Now, I'm always interested in that time period you talk about though, cause I think, most people believe since you got your money that it's like it's cool out you know as long as i got my money everything's gonna be okay but the 24 hours is still 24 no matter what right it's still 24 and and i'm the type of person money that i'm never satisfied right like i always feel like it's more for me to achieve and i'm gonna tell you what what actually got to me and was saying saying that perk you have more and that you actually can make your next chapter of your life better than your last chapter was Kobe Bryant. Like, Kobe, God rest his soul, him passing away, I think put it in perspective 
because he actually had, I thought he was on the course of actually having a better life, a better career, should I say, after basketball than he did playing. And that's something like crazy to say, but it's true. So I want to ask you a little bit about growing up because I grew up in Houston. You are from Beaumont. Yep. And I'll be honest with you, boy, the white folks get mean to fall the east on I 10 that you go getting to a Beaumont. But Beaumont, like relative to Port Arthur, which I think people will know that's where UGK is from and a few other people, Beaumont's the town next to it. And so for you, what was growing up at Beaumont like? You you know what's crazy is that I talked about it in my book uh, about the culture change. And people instantly thought when I was saying the culture change from Beaumont to Boston, I was about to dive into Boston being racist, right? But it was more so about where I grew up from me experiencing racism. Because what people need to know is we have that area called the Golden Triangle. And you probably familiar with that, where's you know, Beaumont, Port Arthur, Needland, Vida, Jasper, um, you know, Silsby, Orange, right? And so growing up in that area, I just remember the James Bird Jr. Uh, uh, killing, right? When he was drugged on the back, the back of that truck. And growing up, once I started driving, my grandparents who raised me, they always told me, you know, hey, look, if you're going to, you know, Lake Charles, right? Like if you're going to Lake Charles, hey, I, don't stop in Vida. Why not? Because, you know, Vida is racist, right? Vida is, you know, uh, you know, things happen to black people in Vida and, and, and cases go cold, right? So we're taught never to stop in, invite or needling or slow down. Don't make sure you're not speeding. Don't get pulled over by the police. And and you have to tell people why, because of the history that, you know, things that didn't happen in those places and like majority, like, you know, how segregated it really is. You look at Beaumont, it's like 60% African-American, you know, and then 40% other. Where Vider is, 98% white American and, and, and 2% of it. And needling is the same thing. So, you know, I wanted to dive into those things and how we had to be careful and mindful about the areas that we were going to as teenagers. Look, you're a little bit younger than me, so you might not remember, man. They were protesting and vying to stop black people from living in the projects. See, see what I'm saying? <laughs> the see what I'm projects. Saying? Like, yes. they, wasn't, they wasn't even going for that. I remember, though, once we took, because my daddy's people from Louisiana, and we took one of those ITA road trips, and the car broke down. And we were, so, and like, we were right around there. I think we were around, was it Vida? I think, like, Winnie's over there in that stretch, too. Like, we were in all but of the Yep. So when you go through I-10 and then you have that stretch that's right between Vida and Orange, Texas, right mm -hmm. there, it's like, yeah, it's that, it's that medium and you kind of like, ah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, had to, we had the car <laughs> die, but the thing that was funny is that we hiked it up to the gas station and it was a black woman came up to my, my uncle, I'll never forget, she just looked him up and down and said, who you belong to? And we was like, oh, we in a different place, man. Like, right. like it, and it wasn't like we were people that were unaccustomed to the rural lifestyle or even the Texas lifestyle. But we were like, oh, we in something different here. Something different, absolutely. And you hear about all the local rappers, like they they talk about it in their songs. Like, if I'm going down I-10, make sure I slow down through Vada. Like, yeah. and, and it's a real thing. And, you know, while I was playing and going through that transition towards the tail end of my career, you know, they had a teenage... Uh, you know, African-American boy that was found dead 
on the railroad tracks and, and the case just went cold. Like no investigation, no nothing. He's just shot dead on the railroad tracks. And it's like, no, this is really a real thing deep down south, you know? So I, I wanted to dive into that and educate people about what's really going on in that area. And people instantly thought that I was gonna dive into more so like, you know, it's the Boston area. Did you experience racism? And the crazy thing is I never experienced racism in Boston. I never had a problem in my eight and a half years being there. Now, with the, you know, growing up in Beaumont and being around, being in Texas at that time, how much bigger was your world than Beaumont? Or was it any bigger than Beaumont? Like what you were aware of and what you were thinking about? You know what? I wasn't aware. Like outside of AAU basketball, I wasn't aware to, like, accustomed to anything like think about this for a second i didn't know anything or a damn thing about uh you know transporting your vehicle to another state like my big dumb self actually drove 30 hours to boston when i got <laughs> drafted because i didn't know how i was gonna get my truck there i guess i gotta drive we didn't have google maps so we had we actually i actually had to use a road map like you know what i mean so it's it's I had an outside world because I did go travel, you know, to for us with basketball. But when I got to that outside world, I still didn't know how to adapt. Like I couldn't wait to get back home. I never left outside my hotel room. So when I did go to Vegas to go play AAU or to New, to New York to go play AAU, it was always to the gym and back to my room because I couldn't wait for those days to go by so I can get back to living my life that I was accustomed to. And that was a country boy, and that's who I am still to this day. That's why I'm still in Texas. Yeah, I was about to say, you left Beaumont just to go to Montgomery County. I was like, oh, <laughs> brother, that, that, ain't, that, ain't, that, that ain't the play I would make. We used to play against the Montgomery County schools when I was in high school, and that was all right, man, let's hurry up and go home. Let's yeah, hurry up and get yeah, back. You know, finally, the, you get to riding back down there on the roads, man, where those houses really separated by, like, you know, half a mile and, you get to seeing, you know, those flags that are in the yard and, and the people. And here's the thing. They're not hiding it, right? They're going to let you know how they feel and let you know what side of the fence they're on. So, like, it's still going on to this day, even while I'm living in that area. Yeah, you know, I think that's an interesting thing for guys like us who grow up, like, really in a particular part of the South, but especially there in Texas, where I hear people, like black people, when they talk about dealing with race in other places and they, you know, like talk, use words like microaggression. I never dealt with a microaggression in my life. If it was an aggression, <laughs> it was a macro, right? What? Like, <laughs> and, and it's wild because you mm -hmm. can have some of those people you was cool with who like, you know, at least cool in passing and they can say all that crazy stuff and have that thing in the yard. But if you happen to be the dude they see at whatever the place, y'all joke about it or whatever, then keep all going. Like there's limits, but it, it, it creates a different <laughs> thing. And I, I was actually thinking about it. It was interesting that you mentioned Boston because I was thinking like going from Beaumont to Boston, I had that same thought that you just mentioned that I think a lot of people would think about that in the context. Oh man, what was uh, Boston like? I was like, yeah, it might've actually been an improvement. Yeah. And, and you know what the thing was about Boston was, is when I got there, it was a culture change. I didn't like, when I say a culture change, I didn't, I, I'm never saying like it was a, like for us races. It was just, I went from eating gumbo, catfish, fried catfish and fried shrimp to eating lobster rolls and, and clam chowder, right? I, I went from not having real winners to 
to being stuck in, in snow <laughs> because I got these big 26 inch rims on my truck, not knowing that I should have took them off because it's <laughs> potholes everywhere. And I'm, I'm I'm accustomed to walking into, you know, a 7-Eleven or, a, you know, a Valero and you passing up a stranger and the natural reaction is you're going to speak and they're going to speak and you keep it moving. Where in Boston, it wasn't like that. So it's everybody was minding their own business. So you, you know, you passing somebody by, you may say, how you doing? And they keep it moving. It wasn't no sign of disrespect, no matter what color you was. That's just the culture of Boston. And so once I figured that out, I was like, okay, so everybody just mind their business. I'm cool <laughs> with that too. I don't want to be bothered any damn way. Hey man, what, what was that first winter hitting all no, up? No. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I could not wait to get back home, right? So like those snowstorms and the townhouse that I that I lived in, you know, they had the vents that blew the heat from the floors, right? So it took forever for the for it to actually warm up. You know, you set it at eighty five, and once you get the temperature right, you're like, hey man, don't you open that door? Don't you open that door? Because once once that hawk hit, it, it, it frees the whole room. But I never got adjusted to the windows. Like I hated it with a passion. You thought that coat you had was going to do something too, huh? <laughs> yeah, that Pele Pele. <laughs> well, that Pele Pele because it had the fur around the hood that was going to keep me warm. It was burning straight through that look. <laughs> nah, that, that time for you, I imagine, was interesting because you came out straight from high school. Like you were in the same draft as LeBron James and you came mm -hmm. out from high school. First question I always have for guys like you where I think that people think of you as kind of, you know, being the big man and doing the dirty work, but you was cold in high school, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. Hey, look, you don't go to the university. This is what KG call it, the university of cash, not putting up numbers in high school. Like, yeah, that just don't happen. Like, you don't get drafted out of high school just to become a role player. Uh, so I was putting up numbers. I, I had to. I mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, one thing about it, I can always brag I broke all Shaq records. <laughs> And you, and that's a basketball playing area. Like, you know, when I was in high school, that's where Steven Jackson was at uh, Port yep. Arthur Lincoln. So it was him, this dude, Keith Harris, Emmanuel yep. McElroy. Yep. And then what was the dude from Beaumont's name? Omar Sneed. Omar that Sneed. was the dude mm -hmm. that was at Beaumont at the time. But that was, you know, y'all only had like three, four high schools for all those people. But y'all were hooping down there. Yeah, we were hooping. And it's, it's crazy because, like, Omar still one of my mentors. Obviously, me and Steven Jackson got our, our close relationship. But... You know, Stack Five, Steve, Stack Five, his high school coach was my high school coach. So, you know, I remember when he went overseas and he was trying to get in the league, he used to come back and he used to work out with me at my high school. So it's crazy how it went full circle, but everybody think of Texas and was thinking of Texas as a football state, right? Because they see the movies, the Friday night lights, and and obviously they had talent come out of out of Texas, but they had some hoopers, man, and some big hoopers at that. You know, you see a couple 6'9", 6'10", 6'7s with skill. So, you know, the I think now the the, the goalpost is moving a little bit for us. Hoopers coming out of Texas and, and finally getting the, the recognition that we deserve. But it, it's been that way for a minute. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. 
Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So as a basketball player, I always wonder about the adjustment. Well, the first question I always have for guys like you, because as I recall, you committed to Memphis when Calipari was there. Yeah. Did you ever wish you had gone to college? No, no. And I never regret it. And here's the thing, like, and I talk about this in my book, is that, you know, I actually committed and signed with Memphis so that the colleges could stop blowing up my line. Like, I wanted to go through my senior year and solely worry about just hooping and trying to get to the league. Like, my thing is, is this. Why would anybody want to go to college if their goal is to actually have a career in the NBA? If you're ready to start your career and go to the NBA, why not do it? And I also say this. Nothing gets you ready like being in the NBA. I don't care if you're playing or not. I didn't even play my first two years. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to learn how to be a professional. I was able to learn, you know, uh, what I needed to do, the work I needed to put in. And I had a great group of vets. But I, as I got more into the league and I got towards like my fifth and sixth year, I started seeing these rookies come in, right? And so I'm looking at these rookies that, that went to college for two, three, four years and they come into the league and it was like they were starting over. And that's why people don't realize the average NBA career is three and a half, four years. You know why? Like 50% of the problem is, is that guys can't adjust to the NBA game or who they're going to be as an NBA player. They can't find their niche because everybody want to come in being the man. Just because you dropped 25 in college don't mean that this organization got plans on you being the franchise guy. But the guys who or role players and find out what their niche is, that's the guys that, you know, have the 10 plus year career and be able to qualify for that, you know, that good pension. Well, how long did it take you to figure that out? You know what, it took me, it took me my third year, second year when Doc Rivers got hired. You know, Doc Rivers called me into his office and I ain't know Doc Rivers from a can of paint. And he told me, he said, hey, Perk, man, listen, I'm gonna keep it real with you. I didn't, I didn't coach Bo Outlaw. I, I had big Ben Wallace. And I'm going to tell you this. You know, you could try, and I'm not telling you not to work on your game and have goals, but you could go try and be a franchise guy, an all-star player, and it may work. But I believe that it won't work. 
and I believe that you may shorten your career by trying so. Or you could be an enforcer, a guy that is a hell of a low post defender, anchor the defense, rebound, and catch and finish, and you could have a long career and make you some money, and you could play 15 years if you want to. You could choose that. But I could tell it was so genuine, I took that route. I took that route that Doc told me about. And I remember the conversation like yesterday. And it's crazy because we had Doc on one day and we actually talked about that, that same situation. And he remembered that, that meeting that we had. And that meeting right there, because I always joke with him and say, man, Doc, man, you, you know what I'm saying? You held me back, you know? And he said, no, I actually helped you with that conversation. But we was joking about it. That right there, I took that and I ran with it. Was that hard to hear in the moment, though? Yeah, because as a as a guy that's 20, 21 years of age, I'm looking at it and I'm watching all my peers like, you know, LeBron and CP3 and Chris Bosh and TJ Ford. And I'm watching these guys get major minutes. I'm watching these guys get, you know, rookie of the year, runner up and making the rising star game and making all star games and averaging 20 and watching their clips all across sports. And I, I want some of that. I want some of that. But realistically like was I really ever going to get to that and I think I think I had to humble myself the two years I didn't play I just wanted to get on the floor and and I knew in order for me to get on the floor when Doc had that conversation with me that I had to do what he basically was asking me to do and so I needed minutes you know what I'm saying now all of a sudden I'm coming up towards the tail end of my rookie deal so I needed to be on Doc best side but it ended up working out the best for me now you talk about adapting to the nba game what was it like for you at 18 years old adapting to that nba life you know what it was easy it was easy because i had the right vets and and monty i tell everybody this right it all depends what organization you go to right because I had a great group of veterans, like old school. Like when I got to the league, these guys nine years in, 11 years in, 12 years in. I'm talking about Tony Delk, Tony Batiste, Eric Williams, Walter McCarty. So they taught me like, hey, young fella, you tripping. Like young fella, like nah, like you need to, you know what I'm saying? Be the first and the last one to leave the gym. Like you punching in that clock, you on that, you getting that extra 20 minutes on that exercise bike. Like, where your body fed at right now? Like, you know, like, they'll catch me eating something on the plane, be like, nah, you can't have it. Like, you got to have that discipline. So it was them teaching me and I actually showing me and me listening to them saying, man, shoot, we got a big one tomorrow, man, we'll get our rest. Or young fella, look, we plan on stepping out tomorrow night because we're going to be off the next day if you want to come out. Like, and they started teaching me the rope slowly but surely. And I just was like a sponge. I just kept soaking it all in because, you know, I wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to like be in the league. And so this is not throwing no shade like at, you know, Marcus Banks, who him and I was drafted together, but he actually was that rookie that had a hard head. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he you would call his phone and his voicemail would be, you have reached a voicemail of, and it would say, I am him. So he had that approach already. So the best didn't really mess with him. But I came in with that humbleness and that countryness, and I was cool. And they just, man, they just kept giving me knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And Danny Ainge was on me about just like life stuff, man. He 
was on me. Like I went and bought some earrings and a chain. He was like, what are you doing? Like that you're not a man's man. Like my center around here dressing up all cute. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you spending <laughs> your money on that, man? Go get some fake ones if you're gonna do it. Like, like own me about that type of stuff and it helped. It helped for real. Now your fifth year is when Kevin Garnett showed up. And when was the moment that you realized that that dude was just a little bit different? It was the first day of training camp. The first day of training camp because we had we had a meeting before we went out on the floor. And that showed how unselfish he was because in that meeting he said, you know what, now we all knew that KG was the best player on that squad. No disrespect to Paul or Ray. And I remember in that meeting he was like, you know what, I'm going to take a back seat, man. We're going to run this offense through Paul and Ray and Doc. If you need me, I'm here. But perfect, man, you go worry about anchoring this defense. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like, it's whatever. But it was the work that he put in. Like, KG never missed a day of weightlifting. Like, back-to-backs, somehow we on the road. He got the equipment out of their room in the hallway hitting his weights. Like, he, he never missed his massages. He never missed that extra court work and time and things of that nature where I would just catch myself just sitting down, just watching him. Sometimes I would join him, but I just wanted to watch him. Like, and it wasn't half speed. It was game speed where he's lathered up even more. He got to get a whole nother shirt. And I'm like, see, this is why he's him. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is why he's him. And he wasn't afraid to call people out. And he wasn't afraid to let people hold him accountable as well. Yeah, the funniest thing about him from a distance, at least, is he's like that all the time. Like yeah. the idea, like you get those people, you're like, oh, wait, no, no, no. This dude is really crazy like this about all the time. And, yeah, in real life, in real life. <laughs> he's really like that great dude, but he's thrown off. And that's okay. We all, we all got flaws, but great dude, but that's who he is. And it, and it takes a while for him to, to trust you. Like, to really let you in and, and and him embrace you with open arms, it took KG almost like, you know, two, three months before he even let somebody like really into him, like, you know, like really, really into his, to his comfort zone. And I think it has to do with a lot with his upbringing, but once he gets you in, man, that's like, that's like the, one of them friends, them partners that you never ever want to lose in life. Like, like that's a bridge that you never want to burn. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's one of them, them lawyer ones. That, like, you don't find them often. Yeah, I want to ask you about that championship season because the thing about it was y'all weren't good, and then the trades happened, and now suddenly you were the best team in the NBA. So, like, what's it like adjusting for you? Because I always worry about those young dudes who take a lot of losses early because you get, you know, like, that gets into you, and now all of a sudden not only are you good, but the expectations are high. Like, it's not like you're an unexpected good. Well, I, you know what's crazy is that when it first happened during the summertime, I didn't give a damn. Like, I actually was pissed off about it because I thought that Al Jefferson and myself was about to be the power forward in the center in the future for the Celtics. And it hit me because I was I was actually on the phone crying to Doc, like, man, why we had to trade Al, man? Like, we couldn't have waited for this, like, give us one more year. And he was like, Perk is done. Man, you know, I don't think you realize what's going on. I'm going to miss Al, too. And I'm like, man, I ain't trying to hear that. I'm not even locked in on that I actually could be the starting center on the team playing alongside KG and go win the championship. Until, you know, the next three days I'm watching SportsCenter and ESPN, and all of a sudden it's like the Celtics' favorite to win. And 
what ended up happening was was that all you kept hearing about is the big three, right? Rightfully so, the big three, the big three. But then you start hearing about the concerns. Okay, well, who's playing the center? Can, is Kendrick Perkins really ready to play the center? Is Rajon Rondo ready to play the point guard? So while all the attention kept getting shined on the big three, it drew me and Rondo close together. And so we started calling ourselves the other two. Like we started just hanging out, us two, but we also started getting extra work in. We also started getting with the coaches and watching film. And so we had a chip on our shoulder the whole season that nobody knew about that we wanted to prove people wrong because we was uh, like set up to say, like, if it didn't work out, we was going to be the one shipped up out of there and blame. So when you saw Rondo and myself elevate our game in the postseason, it's because that's how we carried ourselves the entire season. Like we was the other two and we would hold each other accountable. Like, Hey man, I'm going to see you at the gym at nine. I ain't coming to jump. Yeah. You coming. Or it was vice versa. So that's what got us through us us two together because we 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 was on that team that sucked the year before that lost 18 in a row yeah i thought doc was gonna tell you you said about al getting traded you need to be glad it wasn't you right (laughs) that's one of those that could have gone either way yeah yeah but i don't think kevin McHale wanted to get me over al jefferson not the numbers he was putting up at the time no i just i had not really thought about it until you said it y'all were in boston with the countryest low post that we have ever had with you and al jefferson out there at the same time yeah 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 prentice mississippi and Beaumont, texas (laughs) (laughs) al used to stay across the street from me he never wore socks or tennis shoes (laughs) he used to come across the barefoot i'm like man is you good yeah you know i'm Prentice, Mississippi, you know, one stoplight. I went out there to visit him one time. One stoplight, population of 900 people. He lived like. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now you you know you had that time with KG and those guys, and then basically for the rest of your career, you played with like a top seventy-five or two player for the rest of your time. You were there with Durant, with Westbrook. You had you know the short time with Harden. You played with Anthony Davis. You played with LeBron James. So, like, is there any, like, common through line that you've seen between those guys that you played with? Well, well, you know what? It was it was different for all of them. But the most important thing is that I saw from all those guys. I played with 11 Hall of Famers, right? All those guys put in the work. Like, KG put in the work in a different type of way. Paul did the same. Ray, we used to land at in cities and he would go run five miles no matter what time it was, right? And then I saw Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Hart when I got to OKC. And I remember it was like three days after I got traded and KG hit my phone like, what's up, bro? Like, you ain't gonna holler at us? Like, you know what I'm saying? You ain't responding in the group message no more. I'm like, listen, man, I'm trying to get adjusted over here. And, he, and the first thing he hit me up and said, was the first, the next thing that came out of his mouth was, hey, how them young fellas is like that? And I was like, bro, these dudes ain't playing no games when it comes to working on their craft and being in the gym. 
Like I'm watching these, I'm watching KD before practice after a back-to-back. First of all, we're practicing after back-to-backs. That was the first thing that got me blown away because back-to-backs in Boston, the day was off. So I'm watching KD like, you know, go through triple teams with coaches and work on this game. I'm like, this before practice. After practice, he's doing it again. We were laying in cities, and he would already have a middle school or high school lined up where he was going to get extra work in. And then all of a sudden, I get on the team with LeBron James, and I'm like, hold on, man. This dude's schedule really like the president. Like, you, he's waking up at 5. He's working out before practice. He's getting to practice. He's working out with guys. He's practicing. He's getting another workout in. He may go to a commercial, go shoot for three hours. We may go to dinner, and he's there. He's getting treatment while we're in the five-star steakhouse, and he got his guy getting treatment. We got ice and steam on his knees, legs, and everything else. And I'm sitting up here saying, people don't understand what this is. Like, I'm looking at his whole routine and why these guys are great. And I talk about that in my book. Like each guy, I, I talked about it and I got to witness greatness and I ain't take it for granted. Like I got to see Gary Payton and what he done. I got to see Kevin Durant, LeBron, KG, Paul and Ray and, I, and why these guys are who they are today and why they in the Hall of Fame and why they some of the greatest guy, uh, players to ever touch the basketball. Well, with all that work, especially with those guys in Oklahoma City who got up to speed fast, how frustrating did it then make it the way those three games in Miami went in 2012? Well, you know what? I to be honest with you, I wasn't even frustrated because I knew I knew that we wasn't gonna win that series. And I'm gonna tell you why. The way that we celebrated after we won the Western Conference Finals and we beat the Spurs. I could see the drop off and I could see guys kind of like let off the gas a little bit. Not saying that they didn't compete, but the sense of urgency wasn't there. And we was going against a veteran ball club that had just got knocked off and was on the verge of trying to, you know, that big three was trying to win their first title. And I already could sense it. And so, you know, that's what I always say is just like, it's like boxing. Like sometimes, you know, you have those young fighters that come in and they have that big, that big box office fight against Floyd Mayweather, he didn't been already, he didn't been there already, you know. So he didn't experience that that whole Vegas treatment and the, the two weeks building up to the fight. Like you gotta, your mental gotta be prepared for this. So when you walking into shoot around or practices and you got a thousand media media uh, media people on the floor and that thing come up uh, before a jump ball in this NBA Finals and it drop down, you can get caught up in the moment. Like if you you can get caught up in the moment if you haven't been there before, and we just witnessed that last year. We that's why Golden State beat the Celtics because they've been there before. They didn't get caught up in the moment. They didn't get caught up in realizing that they were in the NBA Finals. Man, they had. I think it was Game Four. Steph had this moment. I just remember they showed it on camera. I forget what play he made, and he did one of these right here afterwards, yep. and I was like, oh. This is over. Yeah. Light-skinned brother with the green eyes. <laughs> like he had decided, I didn't know he had it in him like that, the, we've had enough, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. players of that caliber can just come out there and make a decision at points. Like, nope, we have had enough. This yep, has got I'm to not stop. Waiting on, I'm not waiting on nobody. I'm taking over. Now, this latest chapter of your life has been interesting for me because I'm good friends with Nick Wright at Fox. And I remember you had made mm-hmm. the comparison when you first started doing this about uh, Kawhi Leonard and Michael Jordan. And as I thought about right. it, I was like, yeah, that's the truest one. And Nick had told me, he was like, hey, man, Perk hit me up. 
because he feel like people been taking his line about Kawhi and Michael Jordan and not giving him the credit that he deserves for it. And it dawned <laughs> on me. I was like, oh, you're taking this serious. Like, like this is like you, a lot of people come into this job and just like, hey, it's a way to make some money. But you came into this taking this real serious from the very beginning. I did. And you, and you know why? Because I had regrets. I still got regrets. I had regrets of what I didn't do when I was playing and some of the off seasons, I didn't put as much into my craft as I should have. Right. Like, I'm not saying I could have been a, a, a better uh, all-star caliber player, but I could have extended my career. I could have made more money. I could have added about three or four more years. And I have regrets about this. So when I came into this, this opportunity right here, I was like, no, nah, I'm not having regrets in this. Like, I'm, I'm about to put my all into it. If I, damn, if I got to be up at five o'clock in the morning for a production meeting, then that's what I'm going to do. And I remember that was my first time ever doing a car wash. And I said that on uh, the get up when I was on there with Greeny. And I said, you know, Kawhi Leonard game mimics Michael Jordan. And people was like, man, Perk, how I get him off the TV tripping? I didn't say he was Michael Jordan, but if you watch him, then all of a sudden later on, guess what we started seeing? We started hearing, uh, you know, Kawhi college coaches and people in his camp start saying how he watched so many of Jordan clips. And then all of a sudden you start watching Kawhi get to his spots in the mid-range, turnarounds over both shoulders, the way he was palming the basketball, those long arms with the big hands, like it mimicked Michael Jordan. And so... You know, I, I I take it serious. I say that to say this. You know, in this career, I'm like, okay, I was I'm, I'm fortunate to be here. Well, I wasn't a Hall of Famer. You know, when the Hall of Famers finished their career, man, they, you know, what I'm saying they roll the red carpet out. You look at Tom Brady right now. You got four, what, close to 400 waiting on him right now. And but it's not like that for a guy like me that was a role player. So when I came into it and this opportunity kept getting bigger and the door started opening up even more. I'm like, I got to take advantage of this. Like why I can't make this next career better than my first career. Like I shouldn't have no regrets. Did you have any concern getting on TV sounding how you sound? And it's not to say there's anything wrong with how you sound, but they normally tell us for where we at, not to sound the way we sound. But you you sound like you, right? And that's one thing I've always like greatly appreciated. The thing I love about Marcus Spears also is like you understand what I'm saying. Like I don't have to pretend mm-hmm. to sound any other way. Did you ever have any apprehension about that though? Man, I did. You know what? I, at first I'm like, man, let me sit up here and you know, getting my vocab up and going into the dictionary. And I'm sitting up here saying, man, this ain't me. Because as soon as I got on set, you know, when they get to count you down, you got you got 30 <laughs> seconds, you know what I'm saying, to get whatever you need to get out. I'm like, I might as well just be me. You know what I'm saying? And I started taking, you know, who I am. I, I'm go talk slow. I'm go talk with broken English. But you get what the hell I'm saying. And we talking basketball. Damn it, this ain't English class. We talking basketball. And so I started taking that approach. And then all of a sudden, I started taking those old school lines, man. You know, when you sitting at the spade table or domino table with them old heads and they get to hitting you with them punch lines. And I'm like, okay, how can I put this into this game or put this into what I'm about to break down? And I started taking these bars and putting them into my vocabulary. And people started saying, man, per crazy. We come up with that. He's so country. And then all of a sudden, it took a while for people to get adjusted to me. But when they did, they like, 
man, we love what Perk bringing to the table. And that just gave me more fuel to continue to be myself. Yeah, and you figured out something I, I tell people all the time about doing TV, radio, anything else. You're only capable of thinking about one of these two things. You're either going to think about what you're saying or how you're saying it. You can't think, yeah. you, you can't do both at the same time. That's, once you try to do both at the same time, that's when you stumble over yourself. That's when everything comes out. Like, mm-hmm. you just got to, people. if people understand what you're saying, they'll be all right. They can handle it. Yeah, they'll be all right. <laughs> now, um, one thing you've talked about online and is also part of the book is, you know, you as father. And one thing I want to talk to you about, like, specifically with fatherhood is you're a basketball dad now, right? And so now yeah. you're going to these AAU tournaments and you're seeing everything that's going around. What's different from when you were playing to your son's playing now? Everything. Everything. And it's really hard to, to, to be involved, but I have to, right? Because I want to, because of my sons. But to be honest with you, man, if, if my children wasn't playing – Money, I wouldn't even go in there because it's one, it, it starts with the parents. The parents believe that their child is the superhero and is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, and they're telling these kids that instead of telling these kids the truth, right? So you got all these kids that are on one team that is trying to lead the lead team and scoring and, and your kid is not that talented, but you're not telling your kid that he got to continue to work and just play his role. And now all of a sudden, you know what happens? All of a sudden you see one kid then switch five AU teams in, five, in two years because his parents just trying to find that team where he could be the man, thinking that's what's gonna get him ahead. And then now you have these coaches, right? Who rushing to get into these pitches on the front of the pitches to post with a trophy to say, oh, I, re- I went recruited a hundred kids from you know, 20 different states, and I, I didn't form your organization. Well, you should. I mean, damn, you got all the top-tier players. You should win, right? And so they go get them, and these coaches want to make a name and make it all about themselves. So now you see all these coaches, and you see these guys that's running these organizations. Now they hopping on live, and all of a sudden they just, you know, brain they, – they the ultimate guys for us basketball talk, and it, it just makes my skin crawl. And – it's, it's this last tournament, and I, I don't know that they probably did, but it, almost 90% of the tournaments that I've been going to since my son's been playing, it's been a fight with parents or a fight with referees or a fight with coaches. And it, it, it's, it's crazy. We didn't have that. Like, we weren't having it when, when we was going to the gyms. Like, it was, it, was, it was peaceful. Half of the time, you know, when I was going, my team was going, it was only two parents traveling with us, right? Because majority of the players that was on my team came from single parent households and parents wasn't involved like that. Social media is killing it. You know what I'm saying? Cause everybody want to rush home and, and post their clips. And I don't mind it because I do it with my kids, right? But I ask their permission to see if they want to be on there. Cause I have to teach my kids. They have to have a different mindset when walking in the gym because you're gonna have people that's gonna say something about your dad. You have people that's gonna say something about you, whether you balling or not. So you gotta be able to withstand that. At the end of the day, you're not losing no sleep. If I'm not bothered, you shouldn't be bothered. But the AAU world is terrible right now. Matter of fact, Steve Kerr spoke about it. And he said something about it, I think about last week, it's an article out there and he was just saying, how how like you know bad the AAU basketball is and it's not because it's the talent 
but it's because it's the adults that's messing these kids up. Yeah, they getting they a lot of grown ups getting their chance to be part of the action, right? Yeah, like, you know, yeah. being a coach matters in this world. Like you say, you were coach, people kind of perk up, and now these cats get to cosplay that. And like it, it, it's like fantasy camp in a lot of ways. And the thing I wonder though with AAU at this point, do kids need to play all this basketball though, right? Because I think that's part of the load management you. discussion is man, cats got a lot of miles on them coming in and like i forget when i looked up and saw something once when kids were playing in may like high school teams were playing in may i'm like dude school ain't even in school ain't even in and you know what's crazy is that when i was playing aau aau basketball went from the last weekend of april to like the last week or the middle of july and it was done now it's year round and i'm sitting up here saying like you know, you have you have nine-year-old teams and eight-year-old teams. They are traveling every single weekend to state to state, chasing rankings and chasing all this. And I'm sitting up here saying, uh, like, nobody going to say nothing in y'all organization. No parent going to step up and say this ridiculous. Like, what are, what are we doing? But it's, it's, it's chasing it. It's chasing it. It's for own individual reasons or self-reasons, it's ridiculous, man. I'm and, telling you straight up. And people don't know, I try to make this point, that you go through like the recruiting rankings year by year, it's like 20 dudes in America that become legit NBA players every year. Not just a guy that gets on the team, right, but becomes a legitimate NBA player. Like you were a top five recruit and you had a very good career, but I bet if you come around now, people are expecting – zillions and zillions of dollars coming from you that wasn't going to be the case and it's not because you wasn't good it's because man what we talking about is really really hard and i feel bad for those kids that ain't that good whose parents are under the mistaken impression that that, that boy gonna go to the nba somehow yeah and, and you know what i'm gonna tell you they have these sites now that do these individual rankings and like every chance i get if i see my because they they put my 11 year old son on there every chance i get i go in there and come and say Take my damn kid off for this. Like, it's ridiculous. You damaging these kids because, you know, you can have a kid that's uh, 10 years old and you sit up here and you rank him number one in the country. And two years from now, he's not even ranked. All of a sudden, you can damage this kid for life. And and then explain to me how the hell you ranking 10-year-olds anyway. Are you seeing enough of basketball, enough of their games to rank a kid or rank kids? And why are you ranking kids? Now, when you get to the ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade, I understand, right? The rankings and stuff like that. You know, you could go ahead and do what you do, but ranking kids that are in grade school is is flat out ridiculous. And at one point, when I first started, when my sons first started AU, I actually got caught up in the moment because when I I had been so far away from AU, I'm thinking the rankings and all this. And I had to catch myself. I'm like, man, what the hell am I doing? And I started just jumping the other way with it. Now, my homeboy's got a son who was a top 10 eight-year-old in the state of Georgia, uh, <laughs> which was a mind-blowing concept. And now the boy's in high school, and he's good. Like, I think he's going to wind up going, and they figured out, like, for example, they made sure you're just not doing all basketball. Like, he was playing water polo and stuff like yeah. that, you know, to kind of get the variety on it. But all these grown-ups found ways to get clout and money off of this, and that's the worst thing you could ever say about something involving kids. Yes, yes. And they, and, and they're, they're like – they didn't hit me up asking, hey, man, I could write an article about your son. It's going to be $100. I was like, man, I wish I would pay you $100 to actually write an article about my son. You must be out your damn mind. I don't care about no damn article about him. 
somebody tried to charge you to write about your son? That's what that's what they do, man. It's 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 ridiculous right now. But you know, still in all, I could tell you, I could tell you this much. Outside of that, the competition is there, right? The competition is there. And it, it for my kids, it it puts them in the trenches in the ring. Like, let me see what you made of, right? Like People, you walking in the gym, people automatically think you're a spoiled kid. Let me see if you know how to go get it out the mud. How you go handle this? Last question for you. Will you ever let your son beat you in basketball? No, nah, I don't let him beat me right now. Straight <laughs> daddy. But look, they get it. They think they, man, I'm going straight to the post. If you catch your elbow, it is what it is. Because it, it's going to become a point of time where they might can beat me. But guess what? I'm going to tell them I can't play them. You're just putting your back on your 11-year-old and saying, do something about it. Yeah, do something about it. Hey, man, that's Kendrick Perkins. The book is right here. The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Definitely be sure to check that out. But, man, I've been glad to watch you as you get better at doing this job, man, and working at it. So I'm glad you got the book out. I'm glad for all the sets you've had on this, man, and I appreciate you joining us here. Man, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything that you do, man. I'm a huge fan, man, and I love the way that you deliver everything, your messages, your point of views. You come across as you. You come across as being real, man, and I appreciate you, man. Continue to be, continue to keep being you. Hey, man, I appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Got Sarah Abbott helping us behind the scenes today. Thank you, ma'am. Remember, and also thanks for watching us on YouTube. Remember, follow The Right Time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.